Um, But we're starting this series where we're going to go through Mark's gospel uh, one chapter at a time. And the purpose of Mark's gospel, you'll just see it in the back of your handout, the quote that's there. It says, who was Jesus? Why did he come? And what's involved in following him? These three questions get to the heart of Christianity, and they're also the questions that the gospel of Mark seeks to answer. So especially if you're someone here today and you've heard about Jesus, but you don't know too much about him, or you think you do, but it's been a long time since you've really considered him and looked at his life. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you'll come back as we're going we're gonna to look at his life in a detailed way, the things that he did, the things that he said, and why they matter, and we're going to do that through this uh, Mark's gospel. It's the shortest gospel of the four, um, and we've uh, subtitled it, The Son of God, Son of Man, and you'll see that as we go through, that those are uh, a way in which Mark describes Jesus, that as we consider his life, we're challenged by what both of those phrases mean and do we believe about him. Sometimes we fall in the trap of only believing a partial truth about Jesus, and we want to consider the whole truth about him. And so to do that, um, we, we want to be guided not just by our own imaginations and our own thoughts, but we want to be guided by the people that were on the ground that saw him live his life, heard him teach his lessons and say, what did they say about him? And then be challenged by that to consider if we believe in and are willing to follow and commit ourselves to what they said. So that's what we're doing. We're going through the Gospel of Mark beginning today and now all the way until Christmas. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses of this gospel. This is found on page 836 if you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you. The gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses, and this is found on page 836. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. If you don't mind, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we come before you with our Bibles open, and we ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive your message for us, to be able to focus clearly on who your son is and on what it is that he did All of us come with different experiences from this week, 
good experiences that have happened, bad experiences that have happened, things that we celebrate and things that we grieve over. We also come with ideas in our mind about who you are and what it is that you want from us. And we just ask that you would help us to be humble before your word and to be open to the fact that some of our ideas might be wrong, some of them might need to be challenged, some of them might need to be strengthened. But ultimately, we, we pray that we would just be open to your word, that we would uh, believe that which you have laid down for us, and that we would be challenged by your truth and not anyone else's. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to break up this message just with very three simple questions. Um, as not only for this passage in chapter one, these questions are relevant, but then they're relevant for the next 16 weeks. Why are we going to be going through Mark's gospel? So our, our outline is just going to be trying to answer three fairly straightforward and simple questions. The first one is, who is Mark? Um, we're reading this book. It says it's the gospel according to Mark. And so the question for us is, well, who is this person? And the first instance that we actually have of him uh, described in the New Testament comes from the book of Acts. And there was an evening where his own mother, her name was Mary, and she had a house where she could um, host the church in Jerusalem. It was a large enough house that one of the main meeting places of the earliest Christians was inside this woman's house named Mary. And in Acts chapter 12, we're told that Mary had a son named John Mark. Well, it was festival time. People were together. Jesus had already lived. He'd already come. He'd already spoken and taught. He'd already died, was crucified, was resurrected. And there were followers of his all over the city proclaiming this message. And things always got rough around festival time because people would come from out of town into Jerusalem. And so People would want to know, well, so whatever did happen to that Jesus who, who died the last time at festival, whatever happened to his followers who were saying he was the Messiah, and some of his followers boldly proclaimed, you know what, he died, but we saw him again, we saw him risen again, and he is the Messiah, and they would proclaim his message, and it would always cause a controversy in Jerusalem at festival time. Well, the controversy had built up enough that the King Herod was finally fed up and he took one of the leaders, James, and he arrested him. And he could see that the crowd was actually happy with the fact that this leader in the church was now imprisoned. And so he took it even a step further and he executed James. And the crowd was even more happy. And he said, oh, I didn't know this was a way that I could if you win favor with the people. So then he goes and he arrests Peter. And he's so concerned about what might happen with Peter that he assigns four different units of guards to watch Peter and to make sure that Peter doesn't escape. And it says in Acts chapter 12 that now while Peter's arrested and he's got four guards assigned to make sure that he's in there and you've got this bloodthirsty leader in Herod who's already executed James Peter asked to wait the night, and it says that while that was happening, the church was praying in earnest. They were having a prayer meeting while Peter was in prison. This prayer meeting happened in Mary's house, in John Mark's house. 
So there they are, they're gathered together. We don't know how many of them are in this house, but they are praying passionately, intensely. It looks as if this might all fall apart. One of their leaders is already gone. Another leader is now in prison. And from every, the way the momentum is going, Peter will probably be dead within 24 hours. And so this is a desperate situation. This is a desperate time, and they are praying in their house. And so there's Mark. We don't know how old he is, but this is a prayer meeting happening inside of his house. While they're praying, there's a noise that's heard at the door. And one of the servants in the house goes out to hear what the noise is. The closer she gets, she can distinguish it's not just a noise, it's a voice, and she can distinguish that it's the voice of Peter who they're praying for. So she doesn't even go all the way to the door to welcome him. She runs back to the group of people praying, and she says, guys, he's at the door. And there they are praying passionately, intensely for Peter, and they say, no, he's not. He says, no, I heard it. He's at the door. I said, no, it's probably an angel of his that's at the door. He says, no, it's him at the door. And so finally they go and they look and they see that it's him. And they're amazed. They're so amazed. Peter actually has to, be quiet, be quiet. And he explains to them what happened. He explains to them how he got out of prison, which you can read in Acts chapter 12. And he says, now I have to leave. Because this is going to be one of the places that they're likely to come and look for me now that I've escaped. And he doesn't want to put all of them at risk. And so he tells them enough of the information of what happened, and he moves on. And so there's Mark, observing all of this, hearing all of this from his mother, from all of the people in there. There's two conclusions that get imprinted in his mind and heart that then affect him for the rest of his life. The first is that this is absolutely amazing. This is amazing. There were four guards, four units of guards assigned to watch this man. In my house, we were praying for him. Somehow he got out. This is pretty cool. This is amazing. This is powerful. You can't just explain this in human, natural categories. The other thing he realized was this is dangerous. It's amazing, but it's dangerous. Because he also knew that James was not miraculously saved. James was executed. Peter was released. Why do they want to come after Peter? Why do they want to come after us? Why did Peter have to be so brief in his message to us that he had to now move on so as to not put all of us at risk? But these things are starting to settle in his mind. Oh my goodness, this is amazing and this is dangerous. And then for the rest of the book of Acts, we get to see how Mark eventually becomes a helper in the missionary journeys of Paul and then eventually a helper to Peter who was miraculously released as a result of a prayer meeting that was happening in his home. And that later in his life, and later in the life of Peter, he would take the responsibility of recording the events of Jesus' life from the perspective of Peter, this person who'd been miraculously released from prison 
as a result of a prayer meeting in his home. So when you start to read Mark's gospel, it reflects those two things. This is amazing, and this is dangerous. And he speaks at such a fast pace that by the time you're done with chapter one, if you just compare it, if you read the the first chapter of Matthew, the first chapter of Mark, the first chapter of Luke, the first chapter of John, in Mark's gospel, you've just flown as fast as you can in sixth gear, topping off your your speed limit through the first events of Jesus' life. And you almost get this impression that he realizes he's writing an environment where persecution is still happening. Things are still dangerous. And I've got to tell you the main parts of this story as succinctly as I can so that you get it. Almost like Peter when he came to their house at night to say, let me give you enough information before I got to get out of here. So I need you to have enough information so that you can be informed, but I don't have all night to tell you this, and I don't have weeks and weeks to tell you this. This is Mark, and this is what is behind his accounting of Peter's experience with Jesus in his gospel. And so it gives his gospel this fast-paced flavor where we can come into it and say, we should expect in the next several weeks to read about things that are amazing and yet to see that there's opposition to these things, that there's danger involved in what Jesus did and in following him. So we're going to go through Mark's gospel one chapter at a time. It's not quite the 30,000 foot view of an airplane. It's more like the view of a Cessna or a hot air balloon. We're going to go fast, but partially because we think Mark is going fast. So we're just going to take a cue from Mark and not take forever and ever to get through his gospel. Because one day I'm, I'm hoping to meet Mark in heaven. And if, if I say to him, hey, I loved your gospel. You know, at Lakeside, we, we just went through it for like five years. He'd be like, I tried to be as succinct as I possibly could. How in the world did you take five years to go through that? I tried to use as few words as possible. Why did you try to use as many words as possible? And we actually see it from the very beginning because he starts with his conclusion. He begins with his end, almost as if, hey, if if somebody comes in the door before I'm done, I just want to put it out there right away, what it is, and then I'll get to the rest of the story. But in case I die before I'm done telling this story, I'm just going to put the message at the very, very beginning. So that's who's Mark. The second question is who's Jesus? And this is what he tells us in the very first verse. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he says in his introduction what his conclusion will be. Just to show you, if you turn to the very, very end of the gospel of Mark... It's not until chapter 15 and until verse 39 when Jesus has died that this statement is made about Jesus. Mark 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is a climactic ending to what happened to Jesus. But as this centurion is watching the events unfold, his conclusion is, truly, this man 
was the Son of God. So we have in verse 1 of chapter 1, this is the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. By the time we get to the end, we have the centurion saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So the whole story of Mark is to say, now let me tell you why we say this. Let me tell you why this isn't just a phrase. This is the conclusion. This is the end of the matter. This is what we believe about him. And we want to tell you the rest. But in the rest of the gospel, by everybody around him, Jesus is not referred to in this way. In Mark's gospel, it's only here at the introduction, then from heaven the voice that comes, and then from demons that Jesus is ever referred to as the Son of God. Jesus is referring to himself all along the way as the Son of Man. And the Son of Man will do this, and the Son of Man will do that. So he's, he's both of those things. These aren't contradictory statements. But for Mark, he starts with this conclusion just to get it out there. This is who Jesus is. And just in case you don't know, when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his middle name. It's not his last name. Christ is a title assigned to him. Jesus is his name. In Hebrew, it would have been Yeshua. And so in our day, it just would have been Joshua. It was an ordinary name. It wasn't a name that initially distinguished him from anybody else. He was Joshua to all of his uh, friends growing up and to his siblings. To say Jesus Christ is to then assign a title to him, the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And he was the Messiah because he was, in fact, the unique son of God. And he already tells us not only is this true about Jesus, but in this being true, this is good news for everyone. This is the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news. Uh, For them, it wasn't just good news like you would tell in any given story. This had a sense of good news that you would, somebody would publicly announce to everybody. They'd stand at a city gate and say, I have news to share. And they would tell the people about some military event that took place or or some significant event that affected the whole city. They'd want to make a public announcement of good news. This is the good news. Who Jesus is, is good news for other people. So who is Jesus? He is someone whose identity is intertwined with your and my destiny. Your destiny my destiny and Jesus' identity are intertwined. If what Mark records is true about him, there is implications for the peoples, for the cities to hear. It's good news that is worth sharing. This is who Jesus is. And then in these 11 verses, we get a threefold testimony. So we have Mark saying it, but then what Mark does is he goes back to his Old Testament, he quotes the prophets, and he says, behold, I'm sending a messenger before your face, verse two, who will prepare your way, verse three, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So we have this testimony from prophecy that the Lord will come, a Messiah will come. Then we have in verses uh, four and on a testimony from John the Baptist, somebody who is very well known throughout the whole region. And John says in verse eight, I have baptized you with water, but someone else is coming who will be able to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just before that in verse seven, he said, this person is so much better than me, so much more significant than me, that I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. 
So we have the testimony of the prophets that Jesus is totally unique. We have the testimony of John that Jesus is totally unique. And then it actually says the heavens open in verses 10 and 11. When Jesus came up out of the water, immediately the heavens were torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came saying, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So who is Jesus? He is absolutely unique. He is not like any other person that's ever lived. You might believe him, you might choose to follow him, you might choose to reject him, but you cannot read any of the four gospel writers who tell us the story about him and say, oh yeah, he sounds exactly like that other guy. I heard about this other guy and they said all the... No, there is no other guy that's like this. So many other leaders who came said they had a unique insight and they could point the way to God. They had a unique teaching that if people followed, but these are unique claims about Jesus himself, that he is unique and he's different than anybody else. So whether you believe him or reject him, at least allow him in your mind to have his place to say he is different. This isn't just another story of another person. This is a unique story that the prophets talked about of old, that the most famous preacher in his day announced, and that even a voice was heard from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. He's absolutely worth considering, and he is worth your time. If you've not opened up a Bible and said, I want to figure out who he is and what he did, Mark is just from the beginning saying, don't tune out. Pay attention. I'll tell you the rest of the story. I promise. I'm giving you the conclusion at the beginning in case anything gets disrupted. But if we don't get disrupted, please listen. And that's the third question. Why should we listen? Who's Mark? Who's Jesus? And why should we listen? If you, if you still have your Bible open and you just look at the, the headings that are put in for you here, you'll discover that in this first chapter, quite an amazing amount of things happen. It says, uh, first, that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan, a temptation to which he never gave in. And then it says that he begins his ministry, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. The next section says that Jesus calls disciples He's, he's about to do something that's significant enough for people to leave what they're doing and to follow after him. Verse 21 begins a section where he heals a man with an unclean spirit. Let's just read this together. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
The next section describes it as this fame expands. More people come to him and ask for healing. And he continues preaching in verse 35 and then in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. He said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So here's this description at the very earliest of Jesus' ministry. No one's standing in his way. No one's opposing him. His ministry is unhindered. And you just get this picture. Wow. If Jesus is given free reign... If Jesus is unopposed, wow. What he can do when we don't resist him, what he can do when we don't reject him, what he can do when he exercises the freedom to do all that is within his power, wow. There is good news for everybody. There is good news, and it, it's so good that it makes us say, so why, why doesn't everybody follow him? Why doesn't everybody want to just allow this continue, to, 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 to provide no barriers and no hindrances to what he's doing? And that's what Mark tells the rest of the story and talks about the opposition that comes. It comes right away in chapter two. So why should we listen? Because this is amazing. It's also dangerous. It's powerful, but it is opposed and the truth is always like that. For us, the challenge is, are we open to the truth? Are we open to allowing Jesus to have free reign in our lives, in our hearts, to consider him in the uniqueness of who he is and all that God says about him? Or do we sometimes struggle and wrestle like we'll find so many characters will throughout his life that just don't understand, that don't like to hear the message that he has? And they need more information on them. Well, if you're like that, that's, again, why we want to encourage you to listen. To stay in this series with us, to read through this gospel with us. We're going to fly through it just like Mark does. So we're not going to be able to unpack every story in all of its detail, but we hope that you will consider it and that you will give it the time that it deserves to consider your own life. Because if it's true, it's not just an old story about somebody in history that has no relevance to you or to me. If it's true, and he's the unique son of God, then his identity is wrapped up in your and my destiny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for the ability to look and see what even your ministry on this earth would look like if we didn't get in its way, if we weren't consumed with our own pride and our own insecurities, and if we just allowed you to have free reign in our hearts, that truly amazing and wonderful things are possible. 
So for those of us who claim your name, who follow you, we just pray that you would give us that vision that you are mighty to save, that we can bring to you all of our burdens, that there is nothing that we have to keep from you. And Father, especially for anyone here who has not heard about you before, or who doesn't know much about you, we just pray that you ultimately, through your word and through your spirit, would show yourself to them in all of your beauty and glory and power. Amen.